You are now listening to the Rio's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hello and welcome to another episode of Writing Black on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. I am your host, Maisha Kai, also lifestyle editor of the Griot. And today we are delighted to have one of the most sought after authors in the young adult fantasy market, Ayana Gray. As a follow-up to her best-selling debut, Beasts of Prey, Ayana recently published the second installment of her fantasy trilogy titled Beasts of Ruin. The sequel has already become an Amazon editor's pick for Best Young Adult, a great accomplishment for a series that Gray began writing right out of college. So let's hear a piece from this captivating coming-of-age story that also evokes the best of African mythology. When Kofi woke the next morning, she felt different. It took her a moment to remember why to separate her dreams from the reality of what had happened the day before. When it all came back to her again, she beamed. Home. I'm going home. Every time she said those simple words in her mind, she felt a part of herself thawing, coming back to life. She had, for the first time in a long time, a plan, a path forward. Hope. She hadn't realized how powerful a thing hope could be until she'd almost lost it. Hi, Ayana. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How about you? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I've been spending some time with uh, the second installment of, of your trilogy. I believe this is a trilogy, correct? Yes. 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 So we're on book two now. I, I'm very proud of saying that I was previously acquainted with book one. <laughs> and so I was really delighted to get uh, book two and um, to continue this story because I, I have to say it's really, really intriguing. And um, it's a book that I know was targeted towards the YA audience. I mean, this is a book where the protagonists are teenagers. Um, however, I, as a uh, person who is, is long removed from my teenage years, <laughs> has been, I've been really uh, enthralled with this and engaged with this work. Um, you know, so just starting from the top, you know, tell us a little bit just about the genesis of this trilogy for you and why you were so compelled to write this kind of fantasy epic. Yeah, sure. So I think that my story is not so different from a lot of, especially black kids who grew up loving fantasy and sci-fi books and TV shows. You know, I really loved the genre, but I did not see myself represented in it very much. And when I did, you know, it was in a very marginalized, disposable way. Um, and it's very hard to be what you what you don't see. And so as I got older, I was writing stories um, and and sort of trying to write the story that I couldn't find on bookshelves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's at the heart of it. That's where Beasts of Prey came from. Um, and the idea to make this not just one book, but a huge epic saga, you know, because that's what I loved as a kid. The big epic fantasy sagas where you could follow heroes on adventures for not just one book, but several books. Right. Um, so that's what Beasts of Prey is, except that, you know, in these books, we're centering Black kids. And for me, what's really important, I think we've talked about this before, is centering Black kids without also centering Black trauma and Black pain. Uh, right. I think it's really important, especially for Black people to get to read stories of themselves that don't center and always have to deal with racism and Black pain and Black trauma. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I 
really appreciate that as well, because, you know, one of the things that occurred to me while I was reading this, you know, I always think of myself like, oh, I'm not really into fantasy. And then I think about it and I'm like, I really actually am. And, you know, I probably always was because I, too, I was one of those kids. I mean, I'm a, I'm a little older than you, but, you know, I, you know, growing up on like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and Lord of the Rings and, you know, loving those books, but not seeing myself in them. And even, you know, when we talk about contemporary fantasy narratives, like so many of them that are so popular, it's like we're always vehicles for some white main character's evolution or character arc. Um, and, and it's very easy to cast us as these, you know, excuse the phrase, but we all know it, magical Negroes, but not necessarily as creating that magic for ourselves. And one of the things I love about Beasts of Prey and now Beasts of Ruin is that it is very much about magic. And it's also taking... Um, you know, without spoiling it for people who haven't engaged with it yet, and everybody should, um, it, taking this magic, this inherent magic um, of Black people, like, that we spiritually, I think, you know, connect to, and really um, drawing from that source. I, you know, I'm, I'm really interested, um, obviously, in the research <laughs> that you've done, because you're drawing from so many uh, profound African traditions. Um, and also, you know, uh, yeah, let's talk about research because I think as writers, you know, this is a podcast about writing really. And I think yeah. that people really underestimate the amount of research that goes into even a, you know, fictional narrative. Yeah. So, um, I have two degrees. One of them is in political science. The other is in African and African-American studies. Um, and I was very fortunate to not only get to take courses in college where I got to really, um, dive deep. Um, into African and African-American history separately. Um, but when I, I studied abroad in Ghana and we were studying Pan-Africanism, we were studying decolonization and of course the transatlantic slave trade. Um, so I had that base when I started to write Beasts of Prey after college. And then I was also doing my own research and what I found um, really, really difficult, and this was why writing Beasts of Prey was at times painful, is the amount of primary research as I was trying to really understand um, even little things like the attire and the food and, and things to make my world feel real. A lot of that research that I found was often written by people of European descent who were, you know, self-titled anthropologists coming into the African continent and, and writing and recording these things, but with so much bias and so mm -hmm. it made my research that much harder because in addition to trying to find it, I also had to question the credibility of it and look at the biases from the, the, the people who were writing and recording the information. A lot of times history and knowledge across the African continent is passed orally. So the introduction of, of things being written down is in the grand scheme of things fairly new. So that made yeah. it difficult, but... Um, I was still, you know, very fortunate to find some really cool um, sources. There are literally African scholars and African-American scholars who who have done a lot of groundwork to try to preserve a lot of the history. And I I owe a lot of beasts of prey to to them. You know, I, I love that. I mean, we are the Grio, which is exactly about that oral tradition yes. and the truth being passed down in, in various ways. Um, you know... Reading through this book, uh, reading through Beasts of Prey and then now through Beasts of Ruin, you know, obviously this is, it's hitting on so many levels. I mean, so that's a compliment to you. You know, you're getting, you know, the, the, uh, I mean, first of all, you're an excellent writer. Just, I, I mean, it's your, your command of language is as a writer, really thrilling to me. Um, and also, you know, you're doing something that I think also people don't always expect 
of, you know, female identified writers in terms of giving us this really like action packed kind of, you know, yeah. landscape of, of things happening. And, and it really does harken back to things I think we, I think we think of as a little more like Afrofuturist, like, you know, when you're talking about Octavia uh, Butler or, you know, N.K. Jemison, you know, where I'm getting a lot of like dynamic, energetic, like, you know, stuff going on here. And um, there's also a lot of allegory. Uh, I, I thought, you know, to, to current events, whether we're talking about, you know, um, reflecting on issues of enslavement and, and bodily autonomy or integrity, uh, misogyny, uh, even the military to a certain extent, um, were those all like intentional themes that you were kind of trying to tease out as parallels or did they just kind of evolve with the story? A mixture of both. There were, you know, at core, I wanted to write, you know, this big fantasy adventure story and I wanted it, you know, I wanted, you know, action and, and myth, mythical creatures that maybe people weren't familiar with and a little bit of romance and some magic and all these things that I love as a fantasy reader. But along the way in this, you know, you understand this as a writer, you end up putting a little bit of yourself into the yeah. story and you take the things you're seeing and you can't help but write about them. So I, one of, there are two main characters in the story. One of them is a black boy and I couldn't help but, you know, write about what I witnessed and what I saw, you know, for example, in my own little brother um, and the things that, you know, kind of watching how he's navigated the world. And so there's a lot of um, discussion and reflection about what it means to be a black boy trying to become a black man and the way expectations are put on black boys and black men. I didn't set out to like, you know, to write that, um, but that's what happened. I didn't necessarily plan to write about mental health and the way mental health is dealt with in the black community, but that's what happened. It just sort of came mm -hmm. out of me as I was writing. And then, you know, I finished the book and look back and I'm like, oh, wow, I put a lot, a lot of my heart into this without meaning, without necessarily like strategically doing it. Um, so it was, it was sort of a mix in the end of, at the end of the day. Oh, I love that you said that you put a lot of your heart into it. Cause I think, you know, when I think of how this book, resonated with me it resonated with my heart like did you have any kind of uh, I guess anticipation hope expectation that this story would resonate with so many people I mean this was an instant bestseller so it, it obviously hit you know yeah. for people did you do did you did you anticipate or hope that it would hit that sweet spot for people um I think you know in my wildest dreams I certainly hoped it would connect with lots of people but I think about the power of books and how mm. I would read books as kid as a kid. I would read books by people who who have long since died. I mean, they're not here anymore. And the mm. fact that the words they wrote made me feel seen and made me feel less alone as a kid who had to move around a lot, especially. Mm. I, I found friends in my in books, as, as weird as that might sound. Their heads were still bowed when Kofi asked the question in a murmur. Is it true? Mama cracked a wary eye. Kofi? Some of the others were talking. Kofi went on before her mother could stop her. No, it found, doesn't sound weird to me at all. <laughs> you know, I found I found home in books. And so I was like, I, and I think about how, especially as a kid, as a teenager, how much that meant to me and how that was really a life raft for me. And I, what I hoped is that, I hoped that Beasts of Prey could be, if it was a life raft for one person, if it helped one person get through a hard time, helped one person 
feel seen and feel like, wow, I'm not the only one who's had this difficult experience, then, then I've won. Everything else is kind of the cherry on top, but I hoped to give to readers what authors before me had given to me. Um, first of all, I love that answer because, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do think, I mean, I think those of us who love, who love books, who love writers, who love Black writers, you know, it is exactly that. It's that sense of feeling seen and heard. And um, I think you really skillfully uh, accomplished both here. Um, you know, I am interested, you know, <laughs> this, this, you know, I think it's very for writers, you know, writers who aspire to write a book, writers who aspire to get a publishing deal, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to get down to brass tacks here. Um, the idea of pitching one book is often really daunting. Uh, you pitched three, as I recall. I mean, you know, yeah. as, as I understand, you pitched three out the gate. Um, what gave you the confidence to do that and to um, and to really package this whole thing as like, no, this is not going to be told in one book. This is this is a whole arc. This is a whole narrative. Like what gave you the confidence to kind of present the story in that way? You know, I have to be really, really honest here. Um, there's a ton of advice out there on the Internet about books and one of mm -hmm. the bad pieces of advice that I believed, because I didn't know any better, was that nobody is going to want a series from an unheard of debut author. So to be honest with you, initially I tried to make the Beasts of Prey trilogy one book. Wow. <laughs> um, okay. I tried. I tried. And I... <laughs> um, I sent it off to literary agents and I'm so, this is, this is kind of, this shows the power of, of simply having, having faith and kind of, you know, going out on a leap of faith. Um, it was actually my literary agent who, who read this very big, messy fantasy. And he was like, he, he said to me, he emailed me and he said, there's, this is a good story but I think it's more than one story, Ayana. And it was like the minute he said that, the minute somebody from publishing, it was almost like gave me permission to dream bigger. I did, you know, because I, I had, you know, as honestly, as a lot of black people and black women are expected to be very modest, very humble, like, oh, I should start mm -hmm. small. I shouldn't, I shouldn't dream too big here. Um, mm -hmm. The minute he said, I think that this is more than one story. It was like the floodgates opened. And suddenly I was like, yes, this is more than one story. I, I have permission. I can write more than one story and not feel like I'm taking up too much space. So, I mean, that was, that was actually the turning point for, for the, when the, when the book became a series. Listen, that phrase taking up too much space, I think, first of all, <laughs> most people who have lived in black bodies and definitely black women would identify with that phrase in terms of always being a little afraid of taking up too much space. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad, I mean, God bless the good agents, right? Because, you yeah. know, um, being seen in that way, I think now, obviously you're allowing your readers to be seen in a certain way. And we'll be right back with more Writing Black. Witty, honest, entertaining. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the black culture debates you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. Okay, we are back with more Writing Black. This is also, you know, a very unique narrative, too. Um, I mean, it's something that I think we're seeing more and more, and I'm, I'm excited to see it. Um, but, you know, this is a book that, you know, unapologetically has Africa written all over and up and through it. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, this is what that is. And as a Black American 
Um, I can honestly say, you know, I'm familiar with some parts of the continent, not all parts of the continent. It's a huge continent. And, you know, you're really drawing from all over the continent. And, you know, why was that so important to you? Like, this is not, you know, I mean, you could have told, I guess, this story from a Black American perspective, I guess. You very strategically chose to uh, center this um, in the motherland, so to speak. Why was that so important to you? Um, So in a a surprise to no one, I have always loved stories and I feel like genealogy in our history is the ultimate story. Mm. And you can imagine like for a girl who loves stories and who desperately wanted to know as a kid about my ancestors, you know, to understand that A, my ancestors, at least some of them were enslaved and B, because they were enslaved, their stories are gone. I told, Mm -hmm. I think I was talking to my editor once and I said, it's kind of like being given a book and the first like four chapters have been ripped out. And not only have they been ripped out, but you are never getting them. You just kind of have to pick up in the middle and figure out what happened. There's just a tremendous loss. And I think anybody from a diaspora can understand that the frustration, the anger, the sadness that you feel. Um, And so I had a kind of difficult relationship growing up with my heritage because I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, And I've done a lot of research to try to get answers, but there are still gaps. Um, So when it came time to write Beasts of Prey and after I'd gone to to Ghana and really like, as cliche as it sounds, been to the motherland and been to this land where I know my ancestors came from, there was just, I, it was, it's such a, I don't know, it's such a beautiful place. And I was, I was like, why are there not more fantasy books set in this world like this? This is gorgeous. There are deserts there are lush jungles and forests and thriving cities and so much that i I, like why why are there not more stories set in worlds like this um and i I wanted to write so there was that like very selfish fantasy reader questioning but also i wanted to write a story that celebrated that heritage instead of being just just sad about it instead of just being angry about it i wanted to write a story that celebrated it i may not know the details but i know that this is where my ancestors came from These are some of the foods they might have eaten. These are the clothes and the languages and the mythology and the stories they might have told. And that's something to celebrate. Oh, it's definitely something to celebrate. And we'll be right back with more Writing Black. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Black culture amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. Okay, we are back with more writing black. This is a question I ask of uh, a lot of authors, um, basically authors of fiction, any author of fiction I would ask this question of, but in your case, I do think it's particularly relevant is that, you know, because we are missing that really fundamental piece, so many of us are missing that fundamental piece of, you know, that front end of the book, right? Um, There is a, you know, in your case, especially a distinct amount of world building that you're doing here. And I think as a writer, that is probably one of the most challenging, mm-hmm. at least for me, <laughs> things to do. And yet I also find, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's challenging because the options are limitless. But um, would you mind talking a little bit about the world building from that? Um, I mean, you have created an entire um, kind of ecosystem that these people live in. You know, you've created cities and villages and locations and this thing is over here and this thing is to the west and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what was that process like for you? Yeah, I, world building is my favorite thing about fantasy. I love immersing myself in different worlds. 
Um, and so I think I took a lot of hints again from the fantasy authors I read before, um, where it, you know, the cool thing is there are, there are a lot of things about Eshoza, which is the continent where the story takes place that are, that are real. They're, they're based on real things, but I mix that in with things I made up. So you don't, it's all, you don't know what, what draws from real history and what come, come, it all kind of just amalgamates. And I remember as a kid, I was like, wow, these authors made up whole things. And then finding out later, that's actually from a specific lore or tradition. And that was fun to like, to do my own research as a reader and find out more about the world. Mm -hmm. um, with world building, I mean, I, I like to create kind of a fake Wikipedia page. So I have a whole document about the foods people eat, about the clothes they wear, about wedding traditions. And there are no weddings in Beasts of Prey, but I like to know that kind of thing because it helps me make the world mm -hmm. feel real. Um, so I spend a lot of time world building before I even really write the story. That's actually the first thing I do. I make a world and then figure out what stories could exist within this world. So I sort of go big and then work my way down. In the fragile hours before dawn, this city belongs to its monsters. A faltering rhythm beats in my chest like a goatskin drum. As I feel for the dagger sheathed at my side. Well, first of all, thank you, because I'll be using that tip <laughs> moving forward. I think, you know, I think that like so many people, we don't know where to begin. We want to write these amazing stories. We want to like, you know, bring somebody to another world. And I think for you, especially, you know, this is... Well, I think anybody should read this book, these books, excuse me, at this point, two out of three. <laughs> um, you know, I also think, you know, you, this is marketed as a YA book. Um, do you hope, um, are you hoping that this will also inspire more young people to, and especially young Black writers, to make their own world? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I'm very lucky to publish I'm, I'm lucky to have published Beast to pray at the moment that it, i'm publishing it um there's a really cool renaissance and really cool movement um within kind of the literature community where you see so many black creators contributing and i again i go back to that that little girl who was walking around the shelves of the library or the bookstore looking for these books now there's not just one not just two three four five there are whole shelves now of of stories and there are stories for Black disabled kids. There are stories for queer Black kids. There are stories for Black boys, Black girls, Black non-binary people. You know, all mm -hmm. all nuances within within what it means to be Black. You know, are on the shelves now. So, I you know I do I do hope to contribute to that to that kind of building canon for young Black readers. All right. Well, we're gonna take just a minute, and then we'll be back with more writing Black. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here, and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Griot Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. We're back. Let's get into it. I love that you use the phrase canon because I'm I'm thoroughly convinced that you know we have a canon as as black people a canon that we, we rely do. on. You know, people who come to mind are always like you know I, I mentioned Octavia earlier, yep. Toni Morrison, Alice Walker, Langston Hughes, et cetera, et cetera, James yeah. Baldwin. You know, um, 
but what we also know, you know, in the midst of all this is we're also at this moment where um, we're seeing a lot of, I mean, I'm going to say it in my way, but we're seeing a lot of truth telling being intact. And even when that comes in the form of fiction, you know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, we're, we're in an era where there are book bans happening, where there are, you know, like this really regressive kind of um, disgusting, you know, push against other experiences, other narratives, true narratives, et cetera. Um, how do you hope? to be a part of that push as well. I mean, obviously not just the inspiration, but I guess in a way the rebellion against people who try to repress black stories and black queer stories or, you know, what have you. Um, well, personally, it's on my bucket list to have one of my books banned. <laughs> I know that's probably bad, but Ooh. I think Ooh, spicy I, because <laughs> I, you know, and, and this is, this is sort of a weird take, but I think book bans, book bans are kind of interesting because they're self-defeating. You, I have a lot of faith, especially mm-hmm. in like Gen Z, Gen Alpha. The minute you ban a book, what you've done is made those teens want to read it all the more. So whenever I see a really good book get banned, there's a disappointment, of course, but I'm also in my head kind of like, yes, because that means that you have give, you've noticed it. And that means that teens are going to want to read it all the more. Um, so... I hope to write more bannable books. That's my that's my goal. That's my my <laughs> my hope. To, my contribution to the movement. I want to write more bannable books. I love it. I, that, that should be our goal. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a banner. Make more bannable mm-hmm. books. Because <laughs> you're right. The teenagers love nothing more, and I say this as a, a one time teenager myself. Than rebellion. <laughs> Tell us not to do something. We're gonna do it. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and and what do you hope? Um, those same teens um, and adults, you know, take away from Beasts of Prey and Beasts of Ruin. Because, again, I cannot express enough as, you know, I'm not going to say how old I am right now, but, you know, as a very grown woman. I, I love these books. These are great. You have turned me back on to this part of myself that I thought had I had left behind in childhood in terms of wanting to go into these other spaces, these other realms. And, and so I thank you for that. Um, what do you hope that your readers take away? Thank from you this? for that, by the way. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> so this is always a tough question for me actually, because I, okay. There's another author named Rick Riordan, really big kid lit author who, who's talked about how the relationship that a reader has with a book is none of the author's business. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but I really hold true to that. I try to let, you know, Beast to Prey, once it's out into the world, and it is out in the world now, the relationship that people have with it is going to be informed by their life, what they're going through. Uh, I know that I wrote Mm -hmm. it, the reason I wrote it, I wanted, um, especially for kids who are dealing with difficult family dynamics, for example, dealing with different mental health challenges to feel seen, to know they were not alone, um, and to realize that the things that they're often most afraid of the, the beasts, the monsters they're running from, um, are usually not as bad as, as you, as you think they are. And really when you stop and face that hard thing, that's when it goes away. That's when you conquer it. Um, also, you know, learning to rely and lean on your friends, especially learning that you don't have to earn love. That's a really big, big mm. theme for, for Ekon, the male character. Yeah. Love is not to be earned. <laughs> love is given. And that's something, um, not that my parents like pushed on me at all, but something I had to come to come to understand that my my family's going to love me no matter what I achieve, 
because because they love me, not my achievements, you know? So those are some of the things I hope, especially young, like teenagers, you know, who are preparing to go out into the world and don't know where they're going to fit in in the world. I hope, you know, maybe they read Kofi and Akon's story and those pieces resonate especially. Listen, there are plenty of grown folks who need that message. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say that right here. Like, you know, um, that is, that was, that right there, I'm just like, again, heartened me. And I, I again, thank you for, for writing this. So I think that, again, those are things that we forget. All right. Well, we'll be back with more Writing Black. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here. Everything you've been waiting for. Black culture amplified. Find your voice on the Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. Okay. And we are back with more writing black obviously you've been inspired by a lot of people as well so what are some authors that you would recommend other than yourself i think everybody should read oh, these gosh. but who else would oh, you recommend? oh gosh i have like recommendations for categories and genres let me <laughs> let, get myself together um so i think i'll say this especially for this is very specific I was a black girl who grew up in a very white environment and often did not feel seen, did not feel validated. And I would say, especially for, for the black girls, for the black girls who are in this situation, read Toni Morrison, find Toni Morrison. Yeah. It was not on any of my school recommendations, but I found her. I found her and I read her books and it was the first time in my life I felt seen. So go read Toni Morrison if you have not. Um, for fantasy, oh gosh, let me narrow it down. I, I adore um, Roshni Chokshi. She is an Indian Filipina mm. author who just writes beautifully and is really funny and is one of those authors who you read her stories and kind of just escape. Um, so I really love her work. Saba Tahir um, is another one of my very favorite fantasy authors and she's written contemporary too. But I could go on and on. Those are I'm going to pick those two as my favorites right now in, okay. in fantasy. Okay. Um, and you're also, you know, one of these uh, rare writers. Uh, well, maybe not so rare anymore, but I'm excited about it. I don't know. Uh, where this is already headed. I mean, people are already conceptualizing this for the screen. Like, what's your involvement there? And how excited are you <laughs> in terms of people being able to see this? I mean, you know, this is, a, I would think this is a pretty big undertaking in terms of bringing it to the screen. But um can you tell me a little bit about uh, just even that that process? Because again, writers, you know, we go into this and it's like we have, we either have super humble ambitions or really lofty ones. And I feel like you are kind of living a lot of people's dream right now with this. So I, I'm curious to know how that's yeah. How that's I, I, it definitely aired on the the humble like this will never happen. It'd be cool, but it was, and then it happened, and I was like, what? Um, so Beasts of Prey is it's um, in development to be a feature film with Netflix, which is really cool. Um, I'm very excited. Mm -hmm. um, the woman who is the screenwriter who wrote the script for Beasts of Prey, her name is Melody Cooper. Um, she is a black woman, which I am so excited about because she read. Yes. She yes. I can always tell she read Beasts of Prey before it was published. And there are several historical, real historical figures that I named characters after in Beasts of Prey. And if you know your, especially West African history, you know the names and she knew the names. So I was like, this is someone who gets it. And she has written a beautiful script that I've gotten to officially see um, as of a few days ago. Um, and so it is with Netflix. It is in development. As you said, fantasy 
is it's it's a huge undertaking when you're trying to build a world um, yeah. and then take a 400, 500 page book and bring it in to make it a two hour, whatever movie. So I'm being very patient, but mm-hmm. I'm excited that, that things have continued to move. And like I said, the script is super cool. Listen, we tuned in for how many ser- how many uh, seasons of Game of Thrones? <laughs> right, I'm, we I'm waited. Ready. I am ready. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ayana, thank you so much for joining us on Writing Black. And, you know, this is a new podcast for the Grio, so I really appreciate you coming and blessing us with your uh, honesty and your candor and your wit and these gorgeous books. So everybody, seriously. Read Beasts of Prey. Read Beasts of Ruin. This is like really cool stuff. You will learn things. You will be inspired. You will be transported. And Ayana, thank you so much for thank these stories. Thank you for having me. It was so good to see you. Absolutely. You too. <laughs> I'll be here for the trilogy. I want to see that third too. I'm so. working on it. <laughs> Waiting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we'll be right back with more Writing Black. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Griot Black Podcast Network. Bring your friends for the shenanigans and stay for the edutainment as Panama debates culture wars, Janet Jackson versus Michael, Black Fashions, Black Mendations, and everything black. Listen today on the Griot mobile app for all the black culture conversations you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard. Okay, we are back with more writing black now as you know uh every week i like to recommend some books we like to call them my favorites um that's m-a-i favorites get it uh you know and and really i like to correlate them to the topic at hand for the day look at how people are trying to erase history now another people are trying to erase our history now and i think to myself this is exactly when we need to you know, magnify, reclaim, and, and really also, I think, magnify the dignity of our ancestors. Another book that gets a lot of play around here, we talk about a lot, is The Prophets. I love this because this is really tapping into the humanity of um, enslaved people. Um, yes, from a fictional perspective, but in a way that I think is so relatable and so beautiful, and so I will never stop uh, pubbing up this book. But... It's not obviously the the only thing out there. Um, I would also say take a look at uh, the sweetness of water. That's a that's another great um, book from really that's really framed like right after uh, emancipation. Uh, and as we know, Reconstruction was well. Reconstruction is troubling. It can be very conflicted. It can be messy. But this book is a lesser known book. So this is Black Cloud Rising. This came out in February. This is a book about, uh, so this is a historical novel about the African Brigade, um, which was a unit of former slaves um, and and kind of fictionalizing what that looked like in the Civil War. Um, I I will be perfectly transparent. I have not finished it yet, but it is gripping so far. (laughs) And I think as we talk about reclaiming our narratives, like this is one that a lot of people know. And so I highly recommend. So this is Black Help Rising, excuse me, by David Wright, Falade. Check this out. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Writing Black. As always, you can find us on the Grio app or wherever you find your podcasts.
The Griot Black Podcast Network is here, and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Griot Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Griot Mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard.